It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast, presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. Remember, they've got four locations to serve you. Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, and that new location in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike, right across from Trader Joe's, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of all ailments. That's East or that's Smoky Mountain Organics. Uh, be sure and if you go in the store, be sure and tell them about VolQuest.com and they will give you 15% off your total purchase. Or you can order online for any of their products at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. That's East Tennessee's number one trusted health and wellness store, Smoky Mountain Organics. With Ben McKee filling in for Austin Price, who's on an excursion uh, somewhere. Um, we'll leave it at that. And Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday edition of the podcast. All right, guys, putting the bow tie on Tennessee and Missouri, 62 to 24, quite a bit to un- uncover there and go through there. As you went back and watched it, you went back and looked at the stat sheet. You heard Josh Heupel on Monday. Rob, I'll start with you. What is your one or two overriding takeaways from Josh Heupel's first SEC win as a head coach? I mean, how can it not be the ground game? I mean, 458 yards, you know, averaged almost eight yards a carry. Um, now, I mean, Missouri's not very good. The stats will show that, but nobody else had done that to him or come close to doing that to him. I mean, their stats are bad. They had the worst run defense in the SEC, but still, I mean, when you're closer to 500 yards rushing than you are 400, that's, that's good. I don't care who you play it. And I mean, that, that was the top for me. And then, um, you know, this is captain obvious for me, but Hendon Hooker, I mean, I thought he looked, you know, like Coach Heupel said after the game, just the poise, how comfortable he looked in the pocket. Um, you know, he didn't – they didn't just bomb it away, but he was three or four on, on balls that went over more than 20 yards in the air. Um, 15 and 19, he was really accurate. Um, I didn't think he held it too long like we've seen at times. He just took one sack, um, and, and that one just lost two yards. And, and that was a Missouri team. That was probably the best thing about them coming in was their pass rush. They had 14 sacks in, in four games. So just – one one A is run game. One B is is hooker. Now I don't you know Tennessee's not going to run run it like that on on everybody, but that that's a huge number that I think it means. Yeah, you, you you can put a little stock in it. I think. Well, and and I think when you talk about throwing the ball over twenty yards, it's three or four. The the incomplete. I, I thought Cedric Tillman was held on and probably should have been an interference call. Uh, to be honest with you, Ben, is this is this simply a case with Hendon Hooker that he's just finding comfort in this offense is this a case where uh he's kind of just cutting it loose and is not playing kind of the conservative style of play that he was known for to a degree when he came out of Virginia Tech or is this a little bit of a one-off and everybody better be cautious about how much they go gaga over what Hendon Hooker's done the last couple of games I don't think it's a one-off I think Hendon Hooker is a plenty capable quarterback in this league is he good enough to beat Alabama or or Georgia probably not but against South Carolina against Missouri uh, even against a Florida defense that we're not really used to seeing in in terms of Florida not being as good as we we are used to seeing defensively uh, Ole Miss coming up can Kentucky down the road 
I, I think he's plenty good enough to, to lead Tennessee to a victory. Now he's going to need help from, from others. He can't put the team on his back and, and that's a separate conversation, I guess, but I, I don't think it's a one-off. I, I think he's been really efficient. Josh Heupel has harped on his eyes being in the right place whether that be pre-snap and making sure Tennessee is in the correct play, whether it's a run play or pass play. And then after the ball is snapped, his eyes being in the right spot that, that allows him to uh, make the right read and, and make the right pass and not make bad decisions. And he's done a good job of taking care of the football, particularly through the air, only one interception and hasn't thrown one since that, that Pittsburgh game. And what I like most about the, the one interception that he has is that it's not like he has a bunch of interceptable passes that he's throwing. Very few are, if any, have have been passes that should have been picked off by the defense. I don't really recall a pass that should have been picked off, and, and you don't see a lot of tipped passes. So that's that's what I like about him. And he's starting to slide now, and and that's, that's great, A, because it, it can keep him healthy, and he needs to stay healthy because I don't think there's any question that he is the best option at quarterback right now. Uh, but B, he was also fumbling when he was taking those big hits, and, and he's eliminated that. So I don't think it's a one-off. Is he good enough to beat Alabama or Georgia? Probably not, but uh, he's he's definitely good enough to beat everybody else on the schedule. Rob, as the bottom line is that we just, after seeing what we've seen at the quarterback position for the last few years, just appreciate the fact that, you know, for the last eight quarters, th- this guy's been more than just a serviceable, okay quarterback. I mean, he's completing 67% of his passes, 446 yards, five touchdowns, no turnovers. Should, should, should everybody just kind of not look for not look for warts and go, you know what, this is what good quarterback play is supposed to look like? Yeah, that's Ben's comment about the, the throws made me think about how many times in the last two years have you been – has Tennessee's quarterback unleashed one of you were like, what, what was he looking at or – how did he not see that guy? And Hooker had the one bad overthrow at Florida to Jacob Warren, but I don't I don't recall him putting the ball in harm's way. Where you're like, man, how did he not see that safety? Or I guess maybe the maybe the interception against Pittsburgh, but that's that's not a, a JG level, you know, seeing ghost throw from him. I mean, no, I mean it's certainly not, and, and and there hasn't been there hasn't been any of those since he's been in there, and, and you know he's played uh, obviously. Um, you can debate how much better he needs to play and how much better this offense needs to go, but the the bottom line is that they were sixty two points to the good on Saturday against Missouri, and as you mentioned, Rob, Missouri's not been good, but they hadn't been like that. They they've not played uh, like that, and Tennessee certainly deserves some credit for that. Before we move on from quarterback, just what a luxury to have a, a, a mobile quarterback. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying he's as good as Josh Dobbs, but I almost think, you know, unless you're just off the charts, you know, a robot like Tom Brady, I mean, I almost, almost think you have to have a guy like that that could do something with his feet in, in today's game. Well, I also think you're seeing why Josh Heupel is, is known as a quarterback developer because you haven't seen him – make that same mistake twice that got him beat against Pittsburgh to where he just completely lost sight of uh, the backside safety. And you haven't seen him make that same mistake. I, I think you're seeing Hendon Hooker develop, even for an older guy, game to game and, and get better as as each week progresses. When, when you turn on the UCF film under Gus Malzahn, you see Dylan Gabriel getting worse each week. And up here in Knoxville, it seems like Hendon Hooker is, is getting better each week. So I think also Josh Heupel, Alex Skolish, 
Uh, those guys, Joey Halsley, deserve a lot of credit too. Well, you make, and I'm with you, Rob. I mean, he doesn't have to run a ton. I, I did not like the going empty with him in the third quarter when you got a big lead. Um, I, I guess I had visions of 2004 and, and Eric Ainge spraining an ankle at South Carolina on a, what I considered a meaningless quarterback draw that he was running that, that took that team from, a, I guess, a potential BCS-type bowl and, and put them in the Cotton Bowl and, and really derailed some, some hopes that they had going on with his development there. But um, it, it is a luxury because when he decides to run, he becomes a runner. He's not just a quarterback who's getting away from a defensive lineman. He is a runner. And, and if you're defending them, defending Tennessee, you have to at least account for him. I mean, you, you got to have – I'm not saying you spy him every play, but you have to have on the zone read, there's something there. We saw this offense try to run zone read with a quarterback who had no desire to run. It doesn't work very well. We, we saw how much Tennessee's offense changed when Josh Dobbs got in there and Justin Worley was out because Justin Worley is not a runner. Dobbs was. It changed the fortunes of the offense. And, um, you know, when you see what's going on at the college level and the NFL level, Rob, as you mentioned, uh, unless you're a true Hall of Fame guy, you probably need a guy to have some legs. I mean, Kyler Murray is making the Arizona Cardinals different because of his legs. You know, Lamar Jackson needs to throw it better, but but you know what his legs can can do for you. So, and obviously it's been at the college level for a while. So, um, and I'd like to, I'd like I, to I see this I'd like to see this charted or you know, I don't know where I'm sure you could find find it in some advanced stats somewhere, but I wonder how much more likely a defensive coordinator is to play more zone because he doesn't want guys and man turning their backs when he, when they're playing somebody like that. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm bringing that up to wonder if, if it doesn't make defenses more predictable, if, if they're reluctant to play maybe as much man to man as they typically want to, because they don't want to turn their backs on, on the quarterback. Yeah. Particularly in third and medium situations, you know, where, where it might be an automatic, um, you know, automatic something, you know, third and five, you might want to think about jamming somebody. Now all of a sudden you're ending up and you're thinking, Hey, I got to drop eight here because I don't want to turn my back and let this guy run. And that makes an easier quick throw for five yards to the tight end for a first down. So I don't, I don't think there's any doubt you have to defend somebody differently when they have a quarterback who can make a play with their legs the way that he can. A couple of other things offensively uh, that stood out to me from this game that, that was a little bit surprising to me, um, and I pulled this up off of the, the PFF stats. In, in the Florida game, um, the big three receivers, who I'm calling Peyton, Valus Jones, and Cedric Tillman, had 148 snaps in the Florida game. The rest of the receivers had 74 snaps in that game. Saturday, the big three at Missouri, the big three had 196 combined snaps, and the rest of the receivers only had 41 combined snaps. Does that surprise you that they that they appear to be paring it down the, the way that they did on, on Saturday? Now I know you know maybe there was. Um, you know, Holiday wasn't on the trip, and you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. But but does it surprise you that those snap numbers are, are going that way as opposed to going uh, with more balance at, at the receiver position in terms of, of snap count? Not me. Coaches trust the veteran players because they know how to prepare throughout the week, and they know at minimum they're going to be in the right place at, at the right time, especially with a guy like Cedric Tillman who. I really like, but Cedric Tillman isn't a first-round receiver. He's a good college receiver, but he's he's not going to be drafted in the first, second, or third round because he doesn't have 
elite athleticism or elite playmaking ability. But what he does is he, he does everything good enough or he does everything well. And that pleases Cody Burns. And uh, same can be said for Valus, I think, in terms of him just being a veteran guy and, and, and knowing what to do in, in most instances and, and being so dynamic with the ball in his hands, which is why you saw him slide inside to, to play slot. Uh, and Javante Payton, he's been around the block a time or two as well, particularly in this league at multiple stops. So I think that's part of it. And then you look at the youngsters in, in the group and they have a ways to go in, in terms of Monday through Friday leading up to the game and, and better practice habits and not listening to the outside noise and, and not allowing the, the hype on social media get to their head and think that that's what's going to dictate how much they play on Saturday. It's, it's the work that you put in Monday through Friday, Sunday through Friday nowadays with, with how coaches turn around and, and have film study on Sunday and some even practice or, or do walkthroughs. So it's not surprising just because I think those younger guys are, are further behind than, than most would like them to be at this point. And uh, when you have three veterans like you do with Tillman, Peyton and, and Jones, you're going to throw them out there and let them go make plays. And, they, they block on the perimeter. They do everything you ask them to do. And quite frankly, the youngsters aren't doing that right now. Rob, is it concerning, though, that five games in, that, that it's going that direction as opposed to a youngster emerging when you talk about the fact that this is a group of veteran receivers who aren't going to be here a year from now, the guys who are taking the, the core of these reps? I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say it was an enormous concern, but I mean, I certainly thought we'd be seeing more from the Jimmies the way – you know, they had been talked about. Um, and I thought that they would be playing more guys just from the, you know, the sheer, the, the fact of, of how fast they want to go. I thought it would mandate that they play more guys. But, uh, I mean, you're right. They're tightening it up. I was um, really surprised. I mean, you, you obviously looked it up, but um, I can't. Cedric Tillman played like over 70 snaps. Yeah, it did. On Saturday. Um which means, you know, he was in there late, late in, in the game, which, um, you know, I think Vilas Jones – Vilas didn't play 70, but he played a bunch. And yeah, he was in the 60s. I mean, Javante was up there in the 70s. I mean, it was – there was a lot of snaps that, that were played by those three guys, uh, which was a little bit surprising when I saw that number, when you consider it was a 62 uh, to, to 24 win uh, for Tennessee the way it was. Um I think moving forward the rest of the season, somebody has to take some of those, one of those younger guys has to do what Ben was talking about, Rob, they've got to commit to it throughout the week and, and earn some trust because they're going to need another body or two to help them. I, I don't think you're going to be able to ride 200 snaps a game out of three guys for, for six more weeks, seven more weeks of your football season. That's just, and that's, that's one would, taxing. One would think that message has been set pretty clearly after these last two weeks. With the, yeah. you know, the way people have seen their playing time go down. Yeah, if you're if you're Jalen Hyatt and you don't you don't haven't grasped that message, you go from 40 snaps, I think it was at Florida, to something like 20 or 22 snaps this past week. There's certainly a message sent there for sure. So how those guys react to that message, um, we'll find out starting Saturday against South hey, Carolina. While, while we're talking about snap counts, I I would like I'm going to go back and see if I can find it i don't know that i've ever seen defensive lineman play as much as matthew butler's played this oh, year yeah he just he just plays i mean just just i mean he just, he's just a he's just a warrior out there he just he had 50 58 snaps on 
on Saturday, which yeah. is which is a ton for an interior defensive line. Yeah, it is a ton. And again, they, they didn't have Bumpus. That that affected the, that snap count a little bit. Yeah, Bumpus was but, not out there. But he's uh, been over fifty several times. Yep, he has. And I think that goes back to the trust factor that Ben was talking about with the receivers. I think Roddy Garner deals with that uh, with those guys as well. Um, I'm going to ask this question. It, it, which is the bigger surprise to you when I throw this stat out to, at you guys, okay? Through five games, Tennessee's rushed for 1,276 yards. Keep in mind, they only had 415 last year in 10 games. So thus far this season, they have 1,276 yards rushing. Is that a bigger surprise to you or the fact that they've given up 520 yards rushing to this point in the season? The bigger su- surprise to me is how many – how few rushing yards Tennessee has, has given up. Uh, you, you look at some of the, the cupcake games on the schedule that Tennessee has already played, and that contributes to that number being so high through five games when you compare it to a 10-game all-SEC schedule. Now, ironically enough, the game that Tennessee's rushed the most for is supposedly against an SEC defense, but uh, I'm, I'm surprised by, by the rush defense, and I, I've been – just completely surprised with, with the defense through five games, quite frankly. I know they've given up some points here and there, Pittsburgh and um, even Florida. I mean, Javon, or not Javante Payton, but Jimmy Galloway catches that, that fourth and whatever, and Tennessee's able to punch it in. It's a 24-21 ball game going into the fourth quarter in the swamp. Instead, Callaway drops it. The defense is back on the field quick, fast, and in a hurry again. And then, then Florida marches down the field uh, and, and scores a touchdown and, and then scores a, a garbage-time touchdown to to inflate that score is what I'm getting at. Just I, I've been really impressed by the overall body of work from the defense. So those defensive coaches are, are earning every single penny right now. Josh Heupel kind of talked about that today. But each each level seems to be getting better from last season, better from the spring, better from fall camp, better from from week to week. And it's it's truly been a group effort to kind of slow down the run because I know it sounds so cliche and so simple, but in my opinion, why they've been so good running the football is because they take care of the, the fundamental details of, of team defense, just all running to the ball, swarming to the ball and gang tackling. And if one guy isn't able to bring down the ball carrier, somebody else is there or if not one person, then two or two or three other people are there. You're seeing Jeremy Banks get better and better each week, in my opinion. So uh, that that's been the bigger surprise to me, because quite honestly, I, I didn't have a ton of faith in the defense coming into the season. I thought Tennessee starting five offensive linemen had more talent than Tennessee starting defensive line. Uh, I, I liked Tyon Evans and Jabari Small coming into the season. I thought Joe Milton Hendon Hooker would be able to contribute with their legs. But uh, to see Aaron Beasley making plays routinely against Missouri and and here and there against Florida, he's taken a step forward. Uh, I talked about Jeremy Banks, and there's several defensive linemen uh, who are playing well as well. So uh, it to me, it's the the rush defense for sure. Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, I asked Coach Heupel this on Monday, but I mean, I don't think there's a – Tyler Barron, I think, is probably going to be an NFL player. Who else in that front seven can you point to and say you feel that way about? I mean, Matthew Butler might be giving himself a chance with what he's doing this year, but um, he's, their production he's so is outperforming. So I mean, we'll see. But, yeah, yeah. you're right. And and I know a lot of people expected Heupel to come in and, and have an explosive offense based off his 
track record. I mean, he'd done it. And I, I, that's not a surprise. People that I've talked to, like, that know a lot more about football than me, former players, high school coaches, they're really impressed with Tim Banks. Really impressed with what with his scheme, with how he's getting guys to fit together. Um, a lot in – you know, he, I think he's a guy that surprised some people, and, and not that people expected to be bad. He just didn't know what he, you know, what he was because he had, had never called his own shot before. Well, and the the thing that to, to me, Rob, that stands out about the defense is, you, you know, Ben was talking earlier, but and you guys were both talking about quarterback play where you had those, you know, uh ohs, like you know those uh oh throws, like what was that? You've not had a whole lot of uh oh moments on defense. I'm not saying they haven't busted because they have. I mean, Florida got a back out of the backfield wide open for a touchdown, but, but you just haven't had a lot of those moments where end of the play, two guys that are looking at each other and throwing their hands up, you know what I mean? Like I thought you had him. I thought you, you know, that there seems to be, you know, a, a good grasp of the plan and they seem to be for the most part executing the plan, you know, pretty well, perfect. No, but, but better, then I thought there. I mean, I just thought there'd be more growing pains. I guess is what I'm saying through five games and what we've seen thus far. And I thought, I mean, Coach Hyper went out of his way on Monday to compliment Banks for for how he was able to teach and communicate. And I think it's kind of goes hand in hand with what you've said several times, Albert. I think they. I think it's a much simpler scheme where they're not trying to get, as you, as you said, get get into the perfect defense every play. More impressed with what Rodney Garner's got done, what Brian Jean Marie's got done, uh, or Brian Jean Marie's got done, or, or what Willie Martinez has gotten done. And I have to say, Jean Marie, just cause, I mean, he's he played three guys at Missouri on Saturday that I, I bet none of us, none of us three on this podcast thought would ever play here, or you know, as starters. No, and that's I'm sorry, man, of... I wouldn't say that about Banks. I mean, to say two Salon Page and um, and Beasley, not not Banks. And that's on top of Rob being without Jawan Mitchell, the guy that you brought in solely to be the guy at the linebacker position. Just every coach at uh, at Tennessee's or every coach on the defense at each level is just, I think, knocking it out of the park right now. And it makes sense. Rodney Garner's resume, Brian Jean-Marie, you look at his resume, he's produced all conference players everywhere he's been. We know the track record of, of Willie Martinez, I, I, Hubs, I don't know. That's a fair question. I, I don't know. You have to really split hairs to, to pick who's been the most impressive because I think all of them are, are squeezing the most juice out of the guys that they've got. Yeah. Nobody's yeah, I, been bad, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, take, I'm taking linebackers. And the reason I'm taking linebackers is because those guys in the back end, even though they may have had a lot of scars, at least had an understanding of what SEC life was like because of the amount of reps and the amount of snaps and games they played back there. Same thing up front. You know, I mean, those guys two years ago up front, Matthew Butler two years ago wasn't any kind of all-conference player, but but he was a solid contributor two years ago. Um, you know, so there was some moments there. Rob's right. I mean, you got two guys at linebacker that you would have – I mean, nobody would have bet that that those guys were going to play significant roles on this team. And I don't – I mean, we're, we're sitting here after week one, or I guess it was week two after Pitt. We're like, what's he doing rotating all these guys? Those guys have gone from not only rotating to, I mean, Beasley's in the starting lineup and, and is leading the team in tackles. If you could, if you would wanted to bet me before the season that Beasley would lead the team in tackles, at, starting at middle linebacker in any, any game this season that wasn't Tennessee Tech, then you could be driving my car right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I, w- I was going to, I would certainly have lost that bet. Tennessee been really good. Uh, to start games, guys, 73 to, to 13 is the scoring margin. 
Uh, that now they've got some cupcake games in there, obviously, and, and some teams you should jump out on. But Tennessee has outscored teams 73-13. to 13. Uh, Tells you that they're ready to play at the start of games. What's Josh Heupel's concern? Should he be concerned? What's the challenge this week for Josh Heupel to make sure his team is ready to play again this week? Because this, this is different, okay? I mean, we're sitting here and everything we're talking about in this podcast is pretty glowing, you know what I mean? There's, there's I mean, you're splitting hairs on, on some things and nitpicking some things. So, you know, all these guys are being told how great they are from everybody and they've done all this. And there's this, quote, arrival moment. How does Josh Heupel prevent that from happening? And how big of a concern um, does Josh Heupel, Josh Heupel have uh, about this team being ready to play on Saturday? I think that's the biggest concern going into this week because South Carolina is not a good football team. I mean, for a second straight week, Tennessee is going to have more talent on the field, better quarterback on the field, more proven coaches on the field. It's it's a home game. Uh, I, I think you could say that Tennessee surprisingly has more depth than somebody, uh, had more depth than Missouri, has more depth than, than South Carolina. Quite frankly, Tennessee is just a, a better football team right now. So you can't allow those guys to get too comfortable as you were alluding to. And as Josh Heupel spent several minutes talking about on Monday about not allowing his guys to get too comfortable either. And he commented and said that he felt good about the mindset uh, his players entered the building with on, on Sunday and Monday felt like they, they were refocused and, and ready to go. And that has to be this week's mantra. Uh, it, it's been the, the whole 24, 48 hours leading into a game the last couple of weeks, that's been Josh Heupel's main talking point. But I think this week it has to be that you can't get too comfortable. You can't have that arrival moment and think that, okay, we, we hung 60 on, on an SEC opponent. We're good to go. We're back now. You, you can't have that mindset because that mindset will get you beat. Rob, Rob is this a situation where really it shouldn't even be a, a remote thought that, that they have the mindset? I mean, this team was 3-7 and seven a year ago. The bottom fell out of it after they went two and zero. I mean, is this an easy sell for Josh Heupel to go, guys? I mean, really? To me, it is. And I think what and I think what makes it easier is of what they just did. I, to me, that's a that's going to be such a huge positive reinforce reinforcement tool. Heupel and his staff can throw that film on and say, "Look, guys, this is this is the payoff. This is you know how how much fun was that." So you guys know know what you did last week. You know how you prepared last week. And I think there'll be carryover. I mean, I, I think it's I, – I think guys were already bought in. I think that film session in, in, the, in the various meeting rooms only increases that buy-in. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure Josh Heupel and his staff went out of their way to point out plenty of negatives, you know, some of the third longs that Tennessee gave up in, in the first half. But, again, I, I think the message is, is – is a pretty simple one, Ben, as you, as you put out. And, Rob, you mentioned, guys, you see the results of putting in the work. So why would you not want to do that every week? Because you know, you know what happens if you don't. I mean, you went three and seven last year. And there's a group of – there's a bunch of guys playing on this team who are playing meaningful snaps who were a part of that last year that, that should still have that bad taste. This is like, how, how much fun was that? Let's go do it again. Yeah. I mean, let, let's, let's, have, let's have a good time and do that. Speaking of having a good time – um, Rob, real quick, couple things on the hoops front. Any visitors this weekend? Not. Uh, there may be some underclassmen kids okay. drifting through, but next week's next week's going to be big. Uh, DJ week. Edwards will make his official visit. Uh, Chandler Jackson, the guard they just offered from Memphis, will make his official visit for the Ole Miss game. 
and maybe Dylan Mitchell. There's there's some rumors floating around about that, but I, I don't think that's confirmed anywhere yet, but we'll be digging on that. And Tennessee might have a couple of official visitors in this weekend as well. We'll see how that gets finalized as the week progresses here. It's a bit early in the week for all the finalization of that. What we do know this weekend is Al Wilson will be in the house as Tennessee will honor um, the, the linebacker who's heading into the College Football Hall of Fame. And um, I, I'll say this, I, I had the pleasure of covering him on a daily basis and um, nobody showed up every day to work the way that that guy showed up every day to work. I mean, intensity personified, uh, just elated for him to, to get this honor and, and get the recognition. And um, he, they're going to have, they got a big day planned for him and a night, you know, before planned for him, but he's got a bunch of family and friends and special time for a special guy, Rob. He was, he, he, he hey. was all kinds of special. I mean, he was all he was, kinds of different uh, he, now. I know a lot of former players. I'm, I'm friends with, I mean, with some former players. You know a ton of former players. I don't, you don't hear anybody talked about with as much reverence and respect by his teammates as number 27. Yeah, I mean, and, yep. just not close, I don't think. I mean, Peyton's, Peyton's Peyton. Peyton's a legend. But it's different for with Al. It's a different kind of respect, like, Everybody, I think, respected Peyton's greatness. I think everybody respected the fact that Al would kick your butt if if he needed to on the practice field and wasn't afraid wasn't afraid to go there. Well, and I think that's the the, the amazing thing about him, Ben, is is everybody talks about his leadership, and a lot of his leadership was done through fear and intimidation at times. Okay, but but there was also it it, it was a res, there was a respect level there that 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 nobody wanted to disappoint him as much as it was, oh, I'm afraid he's going to be mad at me. You know, we feared him. There was a much greater sense of I can't let him down, which is the ultimate compliment to, to a football player. And, and that emerged in 97 and obviously carried over through 1998. Yeah, and I think that respect factor is still there. That, that's what's so cool to me about Al Wilson. Uh, obviously, I was a little too young to appreciate the Al Wilson era. <laughs> Taking slats but, uh, out of a crib. Come on, man. I, 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 what, what was his freshman year? 95. 95? That was the year I was born. Yeah, uh, thank not, you very not, much. Signed as, as a running back slash safety. Here's the, and here's the great – Here's the. I'll let you make your point, but here's the great thing about Al Wilson's recruit. Al Wilson hates to talk about himself. So I'm glad he's embracing this day and this weekend for his friends and family because – this is not anything he's comfortable with because he never wants anything done about him or he doesn't want to talk about himself. So I'm, I'm glad he's embracing this. In the recruiting process, he despised it. He loathed the recruiting process. Never once did an interview, never talked to anybody. I still have the sheet upstairs in my, in my office it filed away in a file with his home phone number in it. He never answered the phone. Every time I called, his mom answered the phone, and Al was at the library. He was at the <laughs> library every day, except Friday night when he played. If you called Al on a Thursday night, he was at the library. Sunday night, he was at the library. Obviously, he wasn't, but that was the building excuse. I'd never interviewed him in the recruiting process. Never took a phone call. That's now, amazing. That was different because you didn't start calling kids till late October, and they signed in February. But never, never once. And I think his two visits were Tennessee and Notre Dame. That were his two finalists. I think that were his only two visits. Notre Dame talked about playing him as a fullback. Tennessee promised him he could play safety, and he practiced all of two days at safety. And then they're like – and he knew it too. He was – as he said, 
when I was passing linebackers to the backfield to tackle the running back, it was like, I'm not staying back here very long. And so he ended <laughs> up, he ended up as an outside linebacker and then obviously moved in the middle and greatness ensued. Go ahead, Ben, finish up your thought there as we wrap it up. No, I was just going to add that the, the cool thing about what you said about the respect that he commands is that it's still present even to this day. And, and you talk about him not wanting to, to really do interviews. He's still that way. But when he does speak, it doesn't matter if it's a, a Tennessee fan or a former Tennessee player, a current Tennessee player. Everybody stops and, and listens. I'll never forget him calling in to, to the Swain event one time for, for an interview when Butch was was getting fired and, and he wanted to get some things off his chest and it just kind of froze in time and everybody stopped what they were doing to listen to Al Wilson because he still commands that respect. I mean, even over the course of the offseason with all the changes going around UT's football program, he he headed up some some important meetings around the program to kind of get things going in the right direction, both from an on-the-field perspective and even within the athletic department perspective. So I think that's the the awesome thing about Al Wilson is that he commanded respect back when he played, and he still does so to this day. And it just shows how highly people hold him. Uh, you hear his former teammates, Fred White, guys like Fred White and T. Martin talk about him. And he's just the ultimate leader and one of the greatest ambassadors for Tennessee football. And he is a big fan of the current administration at the University of Tennessee. I've had that conversation with him. He is uh, – he likes, he likes the chancellor. He likes the direction that things seem to be going at, at the University of Tennessee. And um, I know he enjoyed watching that deal on Saturday. Maybe he wasn't comfortable with 62 points, Rob, but he liked what he saw as the end result. Yeah, I'm sure he did. And Hubbard, I know we're getting ready to get out the door here. I just want to, I have, I've been, this has been bothering me for a while now. How come you go with Trader Joe's instead of Barnes and Noble when you're, when you're describing the Smoky Mountain organics? Are you, are you suggesting that our listeners don't read that's what I want to know. I, I think that's a suggestion that I I started to put I started to put Shea Gragavere the the, the that, that would have been my choice. Shea Gragavere. I'm just not sure enough people know who that where that is. But if you do, then then you know where I'm talking about on Kingston Bike, and you also know where one of the great uh, eclectic restaurants is in in a small venue there in the corner. Um, I, I'm sorry that bothers you. Uh, Barnes and Noble. I, Austin wanted me to talk about the chicken salad place it was next to, but. We, we know why he's not talking about Barnes and Noble, but it is across from Barnes and Noble and, and Trader Joe's in that shopping center there. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics, where you can find that location on Kingston Bike Podcast. For Ben McKee and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the Ball Quest Podcast every week here on Ball Quest.